The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. It's a soggy, windswept night as I cut this audio around 9 o'clock on Saturday, April 14th. To be honest, I have no idea what we in the Mid-South have done to deserve yet another wet, soaked Saturday. I think this is like the seventh or eighth Saturday this year where we've had measurable precipitation in some form. It's absolutely crazy. A sunny Saturday we just can't buy. Now, sunny Sundays, appropriately, we've been more fortunate, but a lot of today has been spent indoors and I guess I can't complain because it's allowed me to ponder on some things that have been on my heart lately, and uh, I'm going to spend tonight sharing some of that with you. Um, And so really this goes back a few days ago, midweek, I was driving to work, and I was just thinking about the kind of man I want to be at my job, not just at home or at work or standing in line in the grocery store. Basically, I just wanted to get back to basics. Lord, I have an idea of how you want me to act, but what is my marketplace identity, my bivocational identity? And it wasn't long before God landed the word peacemaker in my heart in the context of, Cameron, I've called you to be a peacemaker, not a peace faker. Now, when I say peace faker tonight, you can think of a peace manufacturer. That's the contrast that's going to be the foundation of our discussion tonight. How do we know if we're being a peacemaker or a peace faker? First, let's talk about what a peacemaker is. And the best place to start, I found, is the Beatitudes. So if you turn with me to Matthew 5, 9, we find, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. All right, so the Greek word translated peacemaker is used only one other place in the New Testament in a slightly different form. Colossians 1.20 captures this, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. So digging in a little deeper, we find Jesus laid down his life not only to reconcile man as sinner to God, but to make peace between them. And while the good news is God's grace saving us through Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, a purpose for living, and a promised home in heaven, there's another layer of good news we sometimes lose sight of, and that is we can carry that message of peace to others. That's what being a peacemaker is all about. Now, when we study the Greek word for peace, as opposed to peacemaker, we find a divergence in context based on the testament you're in. For instance, the Greek word translated peace in the New Testament is irene, and refers to rest and tranquility as seen in the advent of Jesus, when the angels usher in the Prince of Peace through peace on earth, as Isaiah prophesied. But this isn't the only reference to Jesus as peace. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16, we find Jesus called the Lord of peace through his work of justification, i.e. declaring us right before God through his death, 
where we can have peace with God as well as our hearts and minds. Contrarily, the Hebrew word translated peace in the Old Testament is shalom and refers to relationships, covenants, and promises between people, nations, and God with men. In short, shalom reminds us that peace is a gift from God, its presence an indication of obedience and faith, and God's blessing on them. So it's interesting, we see Christ as peacemaker and our peace in both Testaments, regardless of what origin we're talking about. And I know this is a crash course, you know, both sides can be dissected in greater fashion, but for sake of time, I want to get to what it means to be a peacemaker in the marketplace. So let's zoom out beyond the Greek and the Hebrew, and let's kind of dig into the word a little bit more, where we find God delighting in those who reconcile others, those broken vessels and relationships to himself. Isaiah 52, 7 confirms this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. In the New Testament, we see this concept in 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's because of this ministry of reconciliation that we could extend it to broken hearts as blessed peacemakers, the same way Jesus did. Additionally, Jesus says, only if we're like children before God can we bring the peace of knowing God to others. Matthew 19:13 says, the disciples tried to turn the children away, but Jesus said, "Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these." So ultimately when we apply and tie all these contexts together, we find to be a peacemaker is to be a childlike ambassador with faith confident in what is hoped for and awe knowing that reality exists. But perhaps you're sitting there wondering, how does all this apply to the nine and the five grind? How does this fit my situation when I feel like I'm wilting in a meaningless environment or a meaningless role in a compromised system? Well, let's talk some general application before we dig into some specific examples on what it means to be a peacemaker. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to run down eight key differences between peacemakers and peace fakers. And just a reminder, whenever I say peace faker, I'm really talking about peace manufacturer. And hopefully when I am finished with these eight points, I know it sounds like a lot, but these are quick hitters. Um, Hopefully by the time I'm finished, you'll be able to kind of see the tie between peace faker and peace manufacturer. All right, so peacemakers know their priorities. This is point one. Peacemakers know their priorities. They value people over process, program, and procedure. A lot of P's. Pretty heavy on the alliteration, but it's all true. Peacemakers value relationship and service over answers and bottom lines. For the peace faker, people are a scratch to the back means to an end. They value the status quo over genuine serenity. Before I continue, let me just say as a qualifier to this list, this is all based on personal 
experience and having meditated in the word prior to its composition. So know that based upon your experience as a listener, I'm sure there are many more points that we could add to this list. And after you're done listening to this podcast, if there are any other ideas or revelations you want to share, feel free to leave a comment below. All right, point two. Peacemakers know the time for which their priorities must occur. This builds upon point number one. Because while peacemakers strive to create, peacemakers rest in stillness given they know and value the time they are in. That doesn't mean that peacemakers are always going to be idle. However, they are content in being still for the sake of better discerning what is of God and what is of man. What relates to a fear of God as opposed to a fear of man. In other words, peacemakers make their bed in Ecclesiastes 3. Believing there's a time for everything, whereas peace fakers think there's no time for anything. So you can see how peace fakers are most likely going to be stressed and anxious and more prone to taking things into their own hands. Point three, peacemakers allow God to make a way where there is a way. Peace fakers make a way where there is no way. Again, the context for these points are in man's striving to obtain harmony. I'm not suggesting God can't make a way regardless of the situation. God is God. He could do anything. I guess what I mean is peacemakers are going to be more concerned about hearts being set ablaze than their own trails. As for peace fakers, they may have good intentions, but they ultimately trespass in their quest to satisfy ego. Or to put another way, peace Makers plan their course, peace fakers establish their steps, which ties into Proverbs 19. If you want to be a better peacemaker, plan your course, but let God establish your steps. Peace fakers are going to reverse that, essentially. All right, number four, peacemakers salt through love. Peace fakers love for salt. In case the poetic symmetry is, is confusing, Just consider this point to be emergence of the first two. The emphasis is not so much on how we love as much as it is who we love. You see, peacemakers know that for love to be love, it must reflect and line up with the type of love that God chose every day. We see this in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy or boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps a record of wrongs, etc. Basically, you're either loving or you're not loving. If you think you're loving, but there's a self-seeking gravity to it, if there's an agenda to your acts of compassion towards others, then it's not genuine. It's not the real thing. So peacemakers understand that love is the median, the vehicle that reflects what we've been divinely given. They get the reasoning behind the seasoning. I'll just let the mic drop there. (laughs) Moving on to point number five. Peacemakers dress themselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving grievances, above all else, putting on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That comes from Colossians 3.12 through 14. However, with peacemakers... They're going to be content in compartmentalizing their fruit, in dividing unity from community. 
Number six, peacemakers know peace can exist outside a love relationship with God. Conversely, peacemakers are going to use peace to prove they have one. If one's a peacemaker, then he or she not only has accepted God's love invitation, but is active in distributing them. Peacemakers, on the other hand, they're going to view God's love invitation as a way of attracting something, whether attention, likability, respect, <laughs> or a promotion, some type of benefit, as if they're the host. I think we're seeing a trend here that if we're a true peacemaker, we are going to be self-other-seeking, not self-seeking. That part of the love equation is going to be preserved. Number seven, peacemakers understand peace isn't a pursuit, it's an overflow. I know it's easy to get tripped up on this because the word peacemaker obviously has the word peace and make in it, and make has this create connotation. I know for me, when I was young and would see that word peacemaker, I would think, ah, I got to make peace happen. But as I've grown older, I've perceived peacemaker as one who consistently and persistently points people in the direction of Jesus, given he's the reason why we can partner with him in his ministry of reconciliation in the first place. So really, I would submit that to be a peacemaker, you must always have the cross in mind. For when we have the cross in mind, we'll be in better position for love to flow out of grace-based gratitude. So bottom line, peacemakers know what is a pursuit and what's an overflow. Peacemakers, on the other hand, are going to switch up the two, mix up the two, because they haven't completely died to the flesh, to their egos. Last point for tonight, peacemakers don't front they confront. By front, I mean put on a fake personality and confront being laying down themselves, dying to themselves because of a higher good for a higher being. Peacemakers reconcile. I know we've established that, but I want to highlight the con part of these words. We, we confront, we reconcile. Note all the cons in these words. In several languages, con means with. And so we can derive application there because we have to have more than one person or entity for peace to exist. The cornerstone of peace is relationship. I know we're so busy trying to find harmony in relationship, but we can't take for granted the fact that relationship has to be there in the first place. If we're forsaking community, we're forsaking peace. The two can't exist without the other. They're not mutually exclusive. Okay, so I know I said I was going to talk about some specific examples and how these eight points pertain to our cubicle life. But because I'm already at the 15-minute mark, let's hold off for now and consider this a part one to a part two that will come before month's end. In the meantime... Reflect on this podcast and, yes, think about some points you would add to the list, but also be thinking about your own situation and come ready to listen to see if you can find your story on the Peacemaker Roadmap. Maybe you'll have a testimony to share, and if so, feel free to type away in the comment section below. As we've said before, listen, I love hearing from you guys. Let's close tonight with a reading of Philippians 4, 6-7 in the Amplified. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance and situation, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. And the peace of God, that peace which measures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. And like I always say, we'll catch you on the fry. Peace. No pun intended.